Hey, it's Ryan Reynolds, and I'm here with Keith, co-star of my upcoming film, If, only in theaters May 17th. Do you want to tell people the big news? All right, I'll do it. Sign up now and you'll get unlimited for $15 a month in six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan on us. Mintmobile.com slash switch. Upfront payment of $45 equivalent to $15 per month. Unlimited over 40 gigabytes per month. Face lower speeds. Videos at 480p. Active Mint customers by 531.24 get six months of Paramount Plus Essential Plan. Auto renews after six months. Offer ends May 31st, 2024. Separate Paramount Plus registration required. Terms and conditions apply if rated PG. You're listening to this week's excerpt from the Dear Prudence podcast. To get the full-length, members-only version every week, join Slate Plus at slate.com slash prudipod. Dear Prudence. 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 Do you think that I should contact him again? Help. Help. Thanks. Thanks. Thank you. Hello, and welcome back to the Dear Prudence Show once again. And as always, I am your host, Dear Prudence, also known as Daniel Mallory Ortberg. With me in the studio this week, I have two guests, both of whom have already laughed at me more than I feel comfortable with. Uh, Carter Monier, an Ignatz award-winning cartoonist living in Ann Arbor, Michigan. Hello. Hi. She lives with her spouse, her best friend, Carolyn, and a risograph machine. I realized as I read that it kind of looks like those are three ways of describing the same thing. But Oh, yeah, absolutely. My my beautiful risograph machine spouse, Carolyn. <laughs> the other person with me in the studio today is Grace Lavery, a longstanding guest on the show. Um, and hi, Grace. Hello, Daniel. <laughs> I'm so glad you're both here. I'm really glad to be here. Thanks. I Yeah. Why are you describing me as a long-standing guest in the show? Because like, the that's... last time you were on the show, I called you my lover. Yeah. And I still feel uncomfortable we about it. We can raise the stakes from that. But now you're doing a lover voice at me. <laughs> I am. <laughs> Carta, I'm so glad you're here. I'm so glad I'm here. I am not your lover. Mm-mm. You are my friend and a risograph machine. I love you, though. That's. Aww. Oh, I love you, too. This is so... I'm so happy about this. I wish it was just always the three of us Yeah, um, telling everyone. I'm sure you can arrange that, Danny. <laughs> Frankly, you know what? Yes, I think I can. I think it's time I started making more dima- dem- demands. Diamonds. <laughs> Combination of diamonds and demands. <laughs> make more diamonds. Um, yeah, Superman squeezing coal says, I think it's about time I started to make more diamonds. <laughs> Carter, will you please read the first letter? I would love to. Thank you. Um, The first letter reads, subject, which name is, quote, mine? Dear Prudence, I am a woman engaged to the perfect man. I'm also published and recognized in my field by my maiden name. I made the decision to keep my maiden name after marriage for this reason. My fiancé would like me to take his name, but understands my reasons and is supportive of my decision. The problem is my father. He became unexpectedly livid over this. He said a woman needs to take her husband's name to represent unity with her husband and their children. He told me that the last name I have used all my life is his name, and I have no right to keep it against his wishes. I am devastated. I feel suddenly abandoned by my father. What do I do? Change my name to make my fiancé happy and keep the peace? Or fight to keep a name no one else really wants me to have? I hate him yeah no kidding there's something that's just got to feel especially painful about fighting to hang on to a name when it now is associated with a grown man throwing a hissy fit um that would just feel really sad it would just feel like god i i I kind of want the name out of principle now but i really don't want to share a name with you yeah you asshole. yeah no kidding what an asshole yeah your dad is being a massive asshole so I, i i think you know at least the, the part about being devastated and feeling abandoned by your father makes a lot of sense. And I don't I'm think just there's really any other way that I would feel under these circumstances. I think it's a perfectly reasonable response to this absolutely infantile man. Frankly, take his whole name such that he has nothing left. Like he <laughs> Steal should, it from him. Yeah. He should be able to, like, he should be walking around with no name. Yeah. Or, like, give him the most feminine name that you can think of and make him sort of introduce himself that way. Yeah. See if you can, I don't know, force femme your dad. I was waiting for that to show up in this episode, and I'm so glad we got it out of the way yeah. right away. Yes, force femme your dad. Yeah. That's okay. just yeah, That's everyone. great advice from the Dear Prudence podcast, mm-hmm. force femme your dad. Carta, do you and your spouse have any shared names between the two of you? 
We do not. Um, we both made the decision to keep our names, and then obviously I changed mine legally. Um, so our names have been kind of all over the place, but like this question is absurd. Like, yeah, do you feel unity with your spouse? No, 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 never. You, we've been fighting like like cats and dogs since the day we were married, specifically over this name issue. Mm. Because how could a happy marriage? Maybe that's too sarcastic. I don't know. No, um, I... no, it's it's absurd. Like, um, I can't imagine that making a difference to anybody. Yeah, and I can't. I, I I just can't imagine why on earth your father feels like like it livid, like the idea of that making a person livid is just it's hard for me to imagine how this affects him how this could harm him um why he is choosing now to like pop a zit of his shitty feelings all over you Mm. sorry Mm -hmm. that's like a gross image but that's just what came up this isn't how patriarchy is supposed to work yeah you know i I understand (laughs) that the sort of the, the the purpose of the marriage contract is to exchange women from a father to a husband and that's kind of messed up in any number of ways but it's not supposed to be that the father is sort of flinging the name out of the arrangement somehow and i mean it it, it seems just just to say the obvious thing um your name is not this man's property he has no right to your name whatsoever um you keep whatever name you want yeah, absolutely. So if the question now becomes sort of like, I don't really want to share a name with him because of the way that he's behaved, I think that's super fair. Um, I also think if you can see a way towards thinking this is my name, it, it, he did not invent it. He did not you know, create it when he was born. He didn't suddenly think like, ah, a last name that I will create out of the air and give to my children. Like he inherited that from somebody, too. Um, if you can see your way to doing that, I, I think absolutely hold firm. Say, like, Dad, I'm really embarrassed that you're behaving like this, and I'm just not going to have more conversations about it. It's fine. If you feel like, I'd like to, like, adopt a new name um, or or come up with something new with my fiancé um, so that you neither are capitulating to this sort of, like, combination of gentle pressure and... My, my fear is that because your dad is being so bonkers, the, like low-key pressure from your fiancé of like, it'd be really nice if you took my name, um, will start to seem super, like, easy and reasonable and like, well, I'll just do that. Um, And because that's not what Mm -hmm. you want, I don't think that that's what you should do. I agree. Um, And and something you just said, Danny, reminded me of another option here. If you can't force femme your dad, maybe blackmail your granddad. There's so many good options here. Can you say more? Yeah. You know, so if it's, if if it, as you say, it's not... Uh, the father's property, but something that he has inherited from his father, presumably. Yeah. Um, then, according to uh, according to the rules that your father has right, set the up, oldest man if, who yeah, has the you, name. If you could get your grandfather somehow to to dispossess his son of the name, then it could sort of fall to you through a kind of primogeniture. Yeah, but I, I think that the thing that really gets me about this is just that last line. Last line: Do I fight to keep a name no one else really wants me to have? And I think there's something really important about like this is your name it's important to you um the men in your life uh are for various reasons being childish and petulant about the choices you make around your name um and so i think just to ask like what are my reasons for wanting to keep this name um what do i want um not what does my fiance want not what does my dad want what do i want you know um and to just kind of sit in that and just to say, like, that's me. That's my desire. That's my name. I have the right to do that. I deserve to do that. Uh, and to really let yourself do the thing that feels right to you. Um, and it sounds Absolutely. like, you know, it's a name that has, like, professional meaning to you. You've you've worked under it. It means a lot to you. It's not simply the name of your maidenhood or the name that your father bequeathed to you and then also has the right to take away. It's your name. And um, I think you should fight for it. You don't have to fight. Frankly, you don't have to fight for it. All you have to do is say, like, Dad, this is embarrassing and you're being whiny about something that does not affect you. I'm hanging up now. I hope that later when you come to your senses, um, you can apologize and we can talk again like adults. But that's all you got to do. Yeah, no kidding. And I mean, like, if you're engaged to someone you're describing as the perfect man, you would think that he would be on your side in this situation. Yeah, even if he had had a mild preference before for your taking his name, once he had seen this from your dad, hopefully his response would be, 
good Lord, this is so embarrassing. I'm so sorry. How can I help and be supportive to you in this moment? Far be it from me to defend the fiancé, but what we have on him is um, my fiancé would like me to take his name but understands his reasons, understands my reasons and is supportive of my decision. I, I think it's not insane or, or inherently unreasonable for a fiancé to have a mild preference as long as that mild preference doesn't exert any force within the relationship. Yeah, And we don't mm-hmm. exactly have evidence that the fiancé is exactly being terrible about this. It, the possible ways of interpreting this certainly include that the fiancé is, as you suggest, Danny, being kind of um, unreasonable in a lower key way. Mm-hmm. But it could also be that the fiancé, you know, had a, a, an a priori preference, which which they have sim- since abandoned and, yeah. and turned over. That is true. I think I just saw engaged to the perfect man and it, my mind filled in, usually when letters start like that, the perfect man is in fact terrible, the worst. Yeah, no, I agree. I've seen that. <laughs> As you say, a recurring guest. You've on been the on the show, show before. Yeah yeah yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm engaged to a gorgeous man who doesn't have a drinking problem, but once in a week or once in a few days. Yeah, every time he gets drunk. <laughs> right, yeah, right. Oh. All right. Um, this next one is resonant. We're all trans. This is a trans question. What? Cut yeah. is trans? Hey, what? <laughs> This is this is such a cheesy joke, and I'm so glad we all went for it. Just like, wait a minute, you're trans? I'm trans. I'm trans. We're all trans. Well, this is fun. All right, the subject is transgender friends and sleepovers, which just... We should have off. a sleepover. We should. Yeah. Well, we sort of do. Yeah, but that's different. Karna, come on over. Bring <laughs> your... All right. Dear Prudence... I thought it was... You're right, it's you who reads I it. I was going to read this one. Darling, I'm sorry, I got confused. It's okay, you can read it if you want, No, baby. you read it. Okay. Transgender friends and sleepovers. Dear Prudence, my 12-year-old daughter is becoming good friends with a trans classmate at school. He identifies and presents as male, prefers to be called D, and uses a neutral space at school to change for PE. His gender doesn't appear to be a phase, but his mother, who I don't know well, still refers to D as her daughter and uses female pronouns slash his birth name. After a recent family party at our home that both D and his mom attended... A few of my daughter's female friends stayed the night, and so did Dee. I didn't think anything about it at the time, especially since I'd been talking with Dee's mom about our daughters. Later, though, I realised that if Dee had been born male, there is no way I would have let him spend the night. How should I handle this in the future? I want to respect Dee and treat him as a boy since that's his preference. But have I already set a precedent by allowing him to sleep over already? How have other parents handled their kids' transgender friends and sleepovers? I don't want to prohibit all sleepovers, which might seem like an obvious first solution. So uh, I, I think one of the first things that came to mind when I was reading this is um, I, I, I don't know that there's necessarily a hard and fast rule on this one that I'm going to deliver. But um, I, I think it's important to look at what are the ways in which you are um, acknowledging and affirming D's gender identity right now. And it looks like so far you have joined his mother in um, referring to him as a daughter um, and right. using female pronouns and inviting him to what sound like mostly all girl groups. So if the only way that you are acknowledging or affirming his gender identity is at the last minute, not inviting him to sleepovers and all you're bringing to the table is, you know, some exclusion from a social circle where he feels comfortable. I don't know that that's the place to start. Um, I think the place to start um, would maybe be, something else yeah i this is a a tricky one because clearly um d's mother is not a terribly affirming parent and there seems to be a lot of stuff going on there if the school is acknowledging um d's trans status but his own mother is not um so like in that sort of situation, I can imagine a support network of friends being extremely important. So like the solution being, should I cut this kid off from his friends is like kind of a, a fraught one, I would say, especially considering they're all 12. Right. And we don't know how the like cis boys in the school treat D. Right. Yeah. I, I don't have a huge amount to add to this. I'm in agreement with both of you that, um, I don't think cutting him off from a social support network uh, is a great idea. Um, I also, you know, ha- have a lot to say, and I've thought a lot in the last uh, few weeks and months about transmasculine people. Um, often, 
lacking support networks um, after their transitions and the importance of a kind of broader community and an awareness of the ways in which transmasculine people um, are often wrongly lumped in with cis men in some ways. It's kind of complex and difficult to talk about, but um, this is maybe an example of how a social network in which these uh, masculinity is affirmed, these these trans maleness is affirmed, um, is connected to a kind of sociality with women. Uh, that's not, um, to my mind, a problem. Uh, and it's actually, in this case, something that I would want to defend. Yeah, so I think we're all kind of on the same page about, like, it's complicated. Mm-hmm. I think the place to start with, and again, that doesn't mean you should call up Dee's mom and, and start a fight with her. Like, mm-hmm. this is a tricky uh, path to walk, especially given the age of your kids. Um, but I think, you know, it is okay, you know, if you are around Dee's mom and you refer to Dee by the name that Dee goes by mm-hmm. and to use male pronouns, that's okay. Um, you don't mm-hmm. have to defer to uh, what his mom is doing. Um, you know, uh, just because she is unable to respect his gender identity. Again, I don't think that you should, like, come at it in a really aggressive way or try to um, start a fight with her, but I think that that would be um, probably a better place to start. Um, Certainly, you know, you could talk to your daughter about, um, like, does Dee need other forms of support? Is there any other way that you can be helpful um, to Dee? and and certainly, um, you know, you you can certainly think about like you can certainly think about like um, uh, it, it's it's not quite the same thing as kicking D out of your house to mm-hmm. say like when it comes to sleepovers we have a girls only policy. But I, I don't know that's kind of like where you run into problems of like what about lesbians and like kids are tw- like it's it's hard I think to have hard and fast rules about gender with children. Mm-hmm. Um, and one of the things that this is exposing is the sort of fault lines along so doing. And, you know, asking one question can raise a lot of other questions. I don't have a great solution. Like, if you always do the following five things, you will never run into problems. Mm-hmm. Um, but that's a really good point. Um, m- maybe one of the queries is, how would you feel about a trans feminine girl coming and staying? If if your your daughter and... Uh, her her friend circle became um, close with somebody who had been assigned a male sex at birth, but now uh, was a a, a girl. W- would that be complicated? How would those complexities interact? I mention this because one of the things you say is that if D had been born male, there's no way I would have let him spend the night. Which I I know entirely where that comes from. It's it's it strikes me as a sort of unavoidable observation about the situation in which you found yourself. Um, but I wonder if that too isn't a sort of hard and fast rule um, that, you know, it's worth thinking about in relation to the particular individuals and particular sets of relations concerned. Mm-hmm. Well, and actually, in fairness, I edited that line because that line was originally if D were born with male genitals. Oh, wow. Um, oh, wow. And like... That I, changes I, I think that's important to talk... Like, the re- I obviously, like, I often edit letters for, for length, for, for clarity, mm. um, and, and also if I feel like it's not necessary to bring up somebody's particular way of looking at things. Yeah. But I, I think that's actually important in, in part because... It, it often comes back to cis people spend a lot of time thinking about people's genitals when somebody is trans. Mm-hmm, um, and right. that also raises the question of like, at, at least when the letter writer was writing that, they were thinking if you're born with male genitals, then you'd be a boy. Yeah. Right. I mean, it's this is such a, an interesting letter. And like, I, I would say like, it's worth also for the letter writer to think about like discussing it directly with her daughter um, and explaining like, I want to be supportive towards your friend. Like, what can I do? And then also like, I had like conflicted feelings about this, but like sort of talking it through, honestly, I think could be useful because something that I think doesn't help anyone is like, somewhat ignorant parents like unilaterally making decisions about like children's social lives in this kind of situation. Right. I I, I think that's a really good idea. That's a really good point. There is stuff that you can learn from your kids right now. Mm -hmm. um, And that this is one of those situations that does not necessarily require an immediate parental laying down of any kind of law. Um, Right. Like, you know, if you ask your, your daughter, like, Hey, was this comfortable? You know, was everybody comfortable? Was everybody 
um, feeling like they were, were doing okay. And like, um, you know, like some of that is just about trust because like, if your kids are having big makeout sleepovers, like it almost doesn't matter like who's attending, you Mm -hmm. know, like there's something else going on. So like, I don't think the presence of this like extremely young trans boy is going to charge the situation in any way that like it wouldn't already be charged. Right. And it is tough because like I I could potentially see D feeling like, you know, I, I already like live a life in which often my maleness is real conditional depending on who I'm with. And it's a relief to just like have a sleepover with some friends who, you know, call me by my name, use my pronouns and aren't hassling me. Mm-hmm. I could also see a situation in which D feels like this is another situation where my mom forces me to do girl stuff in an attempt to, you know, push yeah. me back into my gender assignment from birth. And mm-hmm. yeah. um, so some of it might also just be and again, without being like, hey, D, let me pull you aside and be like, how you doing in a mm-hmm. way that really draws attention to how different D is from the other kids. But um, just kind of pay attention. Does D seem like kind of miserable being there? Does Does D seem like relieved to be sort of left alone? Mm-hmm. Like, read the room. Maybe we could take a moment to say as well that um, this is not in direct response to the letter writer who has a particular set of issues, but just more broadly, this is another moment where parents of cis boys can sort of step up as well and start to ask, um, what What are their protocols for inclusion, and 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 how are um, how are cis boys being encouraged to affirm and welcome uh, trans boys into their social scenarios and their circles. Um, it, it seems to me that, and I, I say this simply because what we're dealing with is a peculiarity or a, or a complexity within uh, a female sociality. And mm-hmm. the female social group in question is children, but it's still a female sociality. Um, and I just, there's some part of me that thinks, I bet I bet the boys aren't thinking in these terms. Um, and I would want to, yeah, I, I, I I just want to notice that this is this is a question that is often outsourced to women. Uh, it's treated as though it were women's problems, which it isn't. Yeah, absolutely. That is a just a word right there. Look, Bumble knows you're exhausted by dating. All the must not take yourself too seriously and six one since that matters. And what do I even say other than hey? <sighs> well, that's why they're introducing an all new Bumble. With exciting features to make compatibility easier, starting the chat better, and dating safer. They've changed, so you don't have to. Download the new Bumble now. Well, Grace has to get out of here and teach some young minds, so she's going to leave us. And Carta, it's just you and me from here on out. Carta, lovely to speak with you, sister. We'll speak with you again soon. Yeah. Oh, it's so nice to, to hear your voice, Grace, and we'll talk soon. Good luck with teaching. Yes. Okay, so... This one's all you. This one is wild. Um, Subject, the wedding that wasn't. Dear Prudence, I was with, quote, Tom for five years and lived with him for four. We got engaged a year ago and planned our wedding for last June. In April, Tom's sister and mother began engaging in what I now understand is a spike in the narcissistic emotional abuse cycle. His sister was my best friend and maid of honor and used lies to turn Tom's family against me. Tom did not defend me and demanded I apologize for something I did not do. Four days before the wedding, his mom and sister told him, it's her or us. He demanded I fix it by apologizing and begging forgiveness. I called off the wedding four days before because I was so hurt. I was having constant panic attacks. Initially, we went to marriage counseling, but after four sessions, he broke up with me, saying he did not know how this could be fixed. I've tried to point out his family's emotionally abusive behavior and poor boundaries with them in a loving way, and he has admitted there is evidence of this, but doesn't know what to do about it. He says he can't live without his mom and sister, and he can't live without me either. It's been four months. We talk a few times a week, spend some time together, but are not back together. I want to be with him because I love him and he is a wonderfully kind, fun, responsible man who makes me happy outside this family drama. How can we fix these poor boundaries with his family and begin again? So I I, I have so many questions here. I feel yeah. like we do not have a wholly reliable letter writer, mm-hmm. which, which is not to say that I don't believe that this has been like a genuinely painful series of events. I just I feel like they left out some really crucial details. Like, yeah, what what 
what was it that she told the rest of the family such that, like, does Tom believe that they're true? Does Tom think his sister's a liar and just wants to paper over it? Does Tom genuinely think that you did it but is still willing to kind of hang out with you? Like, either way, it doesn't speak super well of Tom or his ability to identify real harm. Uh, right. Or and like what what pivoted the sister from being the letter writer's best friend to like deciding to destroy their life? Like something happened there. Yeah. And and again, like it, it's just the kind of language that feels like I, I'm familiar with the abuse cycle, the sort of like active abuse followed by like, well, you know, um, over the top apologizing and love bombing and the escalation of violence when somebody tries to leave, et cetera. I'm not familiar with a spike in the narcissistic emotional abuse cycle. I I don't know that that's like a like an industry standard understood to be universal kind of thing that a certain type or class of person does. Like, does mm-hmm. that? Do you know what I mean? Like I, again, I'm. It, it's certainly possible that that Tom's mother and sister are are real jerks who started spreading lies about you. I just I feel a little. Uh, some uh, something something goes up when I see that phrase without any detail. I'm like, yeah, what are you what are you trying to say here? I agree. I mean, based on what we do know, and I mean, I, I believe that um, four days before the wedding, there was some sort of confrontation. The letter writer called off the wedding after four sessions of marriage counseling. Um Tom said, okay, we can't, this isn't going to work. Like, assuming all of those things are true, I don't really see a way for the letter writer to get back together with Tom, because it seems like there are some extremely fundamental incompatibilities. And like, someone is not respecting someone else's boundaries. Yeah. um, At all. And like, like, if the letter writer is 100% correct, then, like, it doesn't really seem like Tom is being a great, wonderful, responsible man. Yeah, it also um, doesn't seem like Tom really wants to get back together with you. So I guess my right. question would be, like, if they're that awful and he wants to keep them in his life and also he hasn't apologized for the way he treated you and also he broke up with you, um, you know... And he doesn't really want to get formally back together with you. Uh, why do you want to be with him? What yeah. What on earth do you think you would get out of a relationship with this guy who puts you so low on his list of priorities? Especially after living together for four years, dating for five. Like, that's not an in, insubstantial amount of time. Um, like... You know, the way that this letter is written, it sounds like they had a great relationship and then it went completely nuclear because Tom's sister and mother are evil. You know, like they're they're like evil geniuses. And like, as you said, there's a lot more detail that we're missing. But like, okay, assuming that's true, if that's if that's your perception of things, like why on earth would you want to get back together with this guy? Right. Like. He's a wonderfully kind, fun, and responsible man who makes me happy outside of this family drama. Like, what has been... It doesn't sound like there's been anything but this family drama, at least since June. um, Right. Or, sorry, since April. Um, And that's not just, like, a little family drama. That's It sounds nightmarish. So, like, that that just kind of makes me question the letter writer's judgment, this sort of, like thing at the end of like but otherwise things are great so how do we make this work and it's like did you read your own letter yeah and i mean if it's like okay we talk a few times a week and spend some time together like you know it doesn't sound like there's a lot of like passion there you know ready to be rekindled it sounds like oh hey like what happened between us was kind of fucked up and we're both still hanging out i guess but like it doesn't sound like they're both like desperate to get back together despite his family. Yeah. You know, you guys went to you called off a wedding. You then called off marriage counseling after four sessions. Like he said, he doesn't know how this can be fixed. So when you ask me, how can we fix these poor boundaries? Um, if he doesn't know how to do it and doesn't seem to want to and also has not asked you to get back together with him, the answer is you can't. 
So yeah. I, I think what you need to do is spend some time figuring out, you know, either why do I want to get back together with somebody who kind of doesn't want to get back together with me? Um, and and also, like, do a little autopsy of this situation. Because, again, it's just mm-hmm. it's very unclear. I don't want to say it's either all your fault or all theirs. But there's clearly a, a lot to be unpacked here, as they say. Um, Definitely. And, the place and to- like, on the subject of boundaries, I would say... Uh, you should probably stop hanging out with Tom. You know, yeah. like there's, it doesn't really sound like the letter writer is getting anything out of it other than like extremely hard feelings. Um, and like maybe some space would be a good thing, you know, like after five years yeah, and this horrible breakup, like I can't imagine it feels good to see this person yeah. at all. Yeah. And I think sometimes people will like, learn a little bit about the idea of boundaries and they'll think, ah, okay, great. How do I make other people have them? And you can't. You you can kind of only do yours. Like, you can encourage somebody else to set better ones, but ultimately that's their responsibility. So this whole thing of, like, how do we fix his poor boundaries with his family? You don't. But you can fix your poor boundaries with your ex-boyfriend. Yeah, absolutely. You can stop hanging out with him a few times a week. Um, and you can spend some time by yourself in therapy, figuring out, um, you know, kind of the, the various things that went wrong in this relationship and what you want to do differently in the future so that, you know, it, not that you can guarantee that you won't run into like big problems in relationships, but you can certainly say, how do I make sure that I don't respond in the same way in the future if if I'm getting similar problems in a relationship? Yeah, Absolutely. I, I, and I also just like the nosy part of me is like, I really, really want to know what his sister says you did. Yeah. Her ex-best friend, his sister. Right? Like. Like did a 180. Like what? Yeah. I would love to know. And and it was so big that like the sister said to him, it's 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 her or us. And he picked mm-hmm. them. But only like he only picked them 70 percent and trying to kind of keep you around. <laughs> like this is just a, a mess from start to finish. And um, yeah. Yeah, if anyone involved in the situation would like to write in and say what the thing was, I would love to hear it. Yeah, this is like um, I just watched a Picnic at Hanging Rock, um, and Ooh, it's like a classic like unsolved mystery. It's a great, and I mean, like the the subject line being the wedding that wasn't, and then like this partial information. It's like I feel very frustrated um, that there's no closure here. <laughs> yeah, yeah, same. Um, I I love I hate open ended endings like I really, really want I I always want things to be spelled out for me. Mm -hmm. Yeah. All right. So on a very different topic, I I found this one quite charming. Uh, The subject line of this next letter is senior dating. Dear Prudence, I haven't dated since 1990. I know a couple of guys about my age at work and elsewhere that it seems I could develop an interest in, but I don't know if they're seeing anyone or even if they like girls. The rules back then were the guys preferred to make the first move, but nobody has. How do I ask either of these guys out in a whole different millennium from when I learned the rules? I'm not that far from retirement, if it matters. This is really sweet. This is really sweet, but I, you know, I also want to point out, it may be that when you were dating in 1990, you knew guys who preferred to make the first move, but like 1990, we were a year away from my own private Idaho. Like it was not, (laughs) do you know, like 1990 was, women were, you know, Women were asking men out sometimes. Yeah, I mean, sh- sure. Like this, this definitely makes it sound like 1990 was like the like the 1950s you would see in the movies, right? You know, you, you, like, know, you were four years away from like Margaret Cho's first stand-up special. Like people were people were subverting gender norms in 1990. Thank you for putting 1990 on the chronology that I understand, which is the years that Margaret Cho released stand-up specials. Thank you. Yeah, basically that and, like, River Phoenix movies. That's all I got. Um, yeah, I was born um, uh, for BC. That's for before Cho um, in the year 1990. Mm-hmm. Um, and so, like, I, I just appreciate meeting another 
another person who uses my calendar. Yeah. Um, so, by the way, I don't want to say this to be like, ha ha, letter writer, you should have known in 1990 that new queer cinema was right around the corner. <laughs> and so now you should just be super, super comfortable with like 2018 era uh, mores or mores. I actually only ever see that word written out, so I don't know how to pronounce it. Um, I mostly just mean like that it will probably be helpful for you to think of that as like, ah, that was like the bubble that I was in. But there are guys out there my age who were dating in 1990 and who are dating now who will not be like shocked, floored, horrified if I say, hey, I, I think you're really cute. I don't know if you date women, but uh, if you do uh, and you'd like to go out with me, I'd sure enjoy it. Mm-hmm. That Absolutely. is Absolutely. That is a charming thing to say, and men like it. You seem like a nice person, letter writer, and, like, I can't see it going too badly. Like, if you don't want to be super direct, you can also ask someone else you work with, you know? Like, hey, does such and such, like, women, are they open to dating right now? Like, you know, like, those normal things. It's it's okay. Like, um, my guess would be that, like, if they are open to dating, they're probably feeling just as frozen as you. Like, oh my God, there's this person that I work with who I'm um, interested in, but like, I don't want to freak them out. And like, it's been so long since I dated, et cetera, et cetera. Like letting people know that you're available is not a bad thing. There's also lots of reasons why somebody might not be casually asking out coworkers at work that have nothing to do yeah. with like uncertainty about which gender asks which out. Like, yeah, absolutely. Uh, lots of people just don't like to date at work. And frankly, I'd like to put in a plug for not dating at work. Like if you're <laughs> not sure how to go about it and you're feeling kind of nervous, I think a great place to start is people you will not have to work with in case things get weird or uncomfortable. Um, yeah, absolutely. That said, lots of people also do date at work. Um, I met <laughs> I met Grace at her place of work, uh, although we were not coworkers in any meaningful sense. I guess it depends on your work. You know, if you work in an office with four people, maybe don't date at work. If you work in a warehouse, it might be different. I don't know. I mean, if it's an Amazon warehouse, like, you, you probably need just, like, all the help you can get in, like, fucking turning the place upside down. And um, Oh, yeah, absolutely. Yeah. But, if you work in an Amazon warehouse, you should date at work. And by date at work, I mean form a union. <laughs> man, I'm so sorry for... <sighs> okay, we're just going to get off track in terms of, like, how bad... Have you played the game, by the way, um, Spend All of Jeff Bezos' Money? I saw it going around. I didn't actually play it. I found myself playing it and also becoming, like, judgmental of what my options were, where I was like, I do not want to fund this. <laughs> this is not how I want to, like, fund things. Like, animals are not going to be my priority in redistributing all of this money. Um, mm -hmm. So I, I think I failed at that game, too. Anyways, this is way, way off, tap off topic. Um, so all of which is to say... Generally, it might be wise not to date at work, um, especially if you want to cast a wider net. Um, like, it would be one thing if you're like, I'd like to date one coworker. But if you're like, eh, there's a couple guys I could potentially go out with, I could see that getting messy quickly. Um, yeah. But when it comes to elsewhere, one thing that I think is really good is you say that you think you could develop an interest in them. That is such a good stage to begin asking people out at rather than like, you know what I'm going to do? Sit with this feeling for a long time, develop a very serious crush that only I know about and have a like one-sided emotional relationship with this person until it feels so big that it is going to bust through my skin and I have to confess my love to them in front of a vending machine. Um, That's what we call the the Danny Ortberg method. I have never in my life done that. Somebody has done that to me, although it wasn't in a vending machine and I did not appreciate it. <laughs> it was long, long, long ago. I was a pale young curate then. But it's not a good strategy. It doesn't, it, it's not good. It's not good, generally speaking, to have the first conversation about your feelings for somebody else when they reach such a profound level that you're like, I have to say this or I will explode. Because yeah, that means the absolutely. other person either has to catch up with you real fast um, or feels very uncomfortable around you. Mm -hmm. And like, I mean, this is sort of a, a, a sideways suggestion, but like, you know, you could always make an okay cupid profile or something like that like yeah. as far as i understand online dating if you are a woman who is alive and you make an online dating profile your problem will not be not having enough guys contacting you so like if you want to meet people it's at least worth a try. You know, you don't have to start with like your workplace. You can you can start in like more casual ways. 
Yeah. And I think, too, if that's not like because the question is not exactly how do I meet guys? It's more like how do I go about making the first move, given that I have not done that historically and it's been a long time since I was in the in the game. So whether this is somebody that you meet online or somebody that you see around or somebody that you know, maybe you work at a big, big office and these guys are all in super different departments and you would never have to run into them again if you didn't want to. Um, so in that case, I think my advice would be, uh, you know, if you just think of them as like kind of interesting, but not somebody you know well yet, that's a great place to ask. And if you want to date, I, I think a really good strategy to adopt is just I'm going to ask a lot of people out. Uh, I'm going to let people know straight up if I'm interested in them. Uh, I'm going to make it clear that if they don't feel the same way, that's totally cool. And that I will just sail on and I will like accept within myself that I will sometimes hear no. Um, if I'm a woman who has been historically used to being asked out, that might feel kind of jarring or surprising or like, wow, I, I have never thought about how I would face romantic rejection. So I don't know what to do with it. Just say like, that's just part of the game. That's what happens when you ask people out. It's not personal. Um, lots of people just don't want to date uh, other people. And it's not because they're like, you are specifically awful. It's just, I'm not feeling it. So, mm -hmm. you know, um, I, I think if there's some guys you'd like to ask out, I would just go with, hey, um, I don't know if you're interested in it, but if you are, I'd love to go out sometime. Let me know if so. If not, no big deal. Like that's literally as casual as you need to be about it. And if they seem a little put off um, or a little hesitant, you know, take that as a sign that they're not super jazzed about it and move on to the next guy. And if they're like, mm -hmm. oh, uh, yeah, I, I, I would love to go get a date meal. Thank you. OK, then there you go. You guys just had like a pleasant but slightly awkward uh, decision to go on a date together. <laughs> I like that, you know, the, the hypothetical guy saying yes is like written by Joss Whedon. Ouch. Yeah, that's right, Danny. I said it. That was uncalled for. That was deeply uncalled for. Um, but yeah, I, I think that's I think that's going to be fine. I don't think you're going to like shock and appall anyone. I don't think that you're going to be like um, doing or saying anything that is so out of the norm for like guys of your generation that they're just going to be like, I I'm horrified and disgusted that you want to get dinner with me. Really fucked up that you would ask me that. I, I, I really do think that what you are proposing is charming and fun and i think a lot of guys are gonna be like oh thank you yeah absolutely like getting asked out is fun it's nice yeah and it's just like you're just trying to get to know people better like it's it's really really totally okay that some of them are not going to be down for it that some of them are and that you're going to feel a little self-conscious at first because it's been a long time since you went out with anyone and you've kind of never asked a guy out but the more you do it the more it will just feel like oh there's not some like magical recipe behind it you just tell someone if you think that they're interesting um, and they either respond or they don't great mm -hmm. i can do that families have a lot going on let ollie help manage the mental load with new cognitive help supplements for everyone four and up like delicious lolly focus pops or lolly mellow pops for kids and for parents try three new brainy chews to help you focus chill out or get energized Find these cognitive health buddies for the whole fam at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot com. These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. All right. So I know that we had saved a secret bonus letter for in case there was time. Um, the subject line is, I'm a young person worried about being too old. Dear Prudence, I'm in my mid-20s. I'm aware, intellectually, that I'm still young, the world is my oyster, etc., etc. But everything I want in life takes so much time, and it has me paranoid and frozen when it comes to the idea of starting anything. I'm transgender. Medical transition would take me X years before I can start looking or living the way that I want. I want to start a family, but I'm single and relationships don't happen overnight. I know my dream job, but it takes years of study, and most people in that field started younger than I am. I want to own my own house, car, etc., but it will take time to build savings and credit, which is harder if I'm also spending money on my studies, my transition, etc. Thinking about any of my life plans and doing the temporal math leaves me frozen and feeling several decades older than I am. How can I accomplish any of this? Am I too old? I feel like by starting all of these things so late and from scratch means that I'm already past my expiration date and I don't know what to do about that. So, oh, my friend. Admittedly, yeah, I, I feel so much for this letter writer. Admittedly, I, I, I am biased and trans. I am trans and biased. Um, 
I do think a lot of these feelings of frozenness and it's too late could potentially stem from putting off transition or not not that you're putting off transition but the fact that it sounds like the letter writer has not yet begun and it like given that they talk about the money like it sounds like medical transition is on the table hormones etc mm-hmm. and i i believe um that that can often be a huge factor in terms of feeling like it's too late why bother um everything that i want is so far out of reach i can't really muster up the energy to do it and again in my own experience the experience of a lot of other trans people starting transition can address a lot of that so I think it's possible that if you were to try to start to transition now, this other stuff, while it would still all be real and true, it's not like it would make your other problems in life go away or questions about time um, disappear. It would feel maybe less like everything is too late. I'm already old and in my midwit. Like, does that make sense? Do you know what I mean? Yeah, absolutely. And I mean, like, you and I and Grace um, and so many other people have had the experience of coming to this um, a little later in life. Like I didn't acknowledge transness or start thinking about transitioning until I was 25. Um, And, you know, at that point it did feel like, you know, I was at the bottom of a mountain staring up at it. Like there's just so much that you have to do legally and financially and medically. Um, So I, I really understand that feeling. Um, What I personally have experienced, and I think many people have, is that when you start, when you actually start doing things that make you feel like you're working towards that goal, these larger anxieties about not being able to do the things you want start to kind of subside because it feels like you're being productive. Mm-hmm. Um, it's really hard when you're just sitting at the, you know, at the start and like you don't know how you're possibly going to do all of these big things. Because like when you list them all out like that, you know, it seems insurmountable. And I mean, you can keep going. You can be like, I need to save for retirement. I need to save for my kids to go to college when I have kids. Um, I need to buy two cars. You know, you can just keep adding things to your your giant life list um, that will feel impossible because you're in your mid-20s. But I think... A lot of the stuff that that you can try and work on right now is like finding trans community, trying to get on something like lower um, effort like hormones, um, and just feeling like you're getting started in a way that like pushes you forward and like lets you feel like you're actually achieving these goals as opposed to just like feeling terrified of like all these big things that you have to do. Right. Cause I think um, that's not to say like all of those things will just feel like easy, no problem, but they will not. Oh no, of course not. They will not maybe loom quite like I certainly for me, things that would really trip me up about like time and accomplishments and mortality that before I transitioned um, felt like so big, I would just have to like lie in bed all day and just feel hopeless suddenly shifted to, no, I'm not thrilled about the idea of dying someday. And I do have certain goals that I'm like, man, I wish I were closer to achieving them than I am. But they no longer feel like they can sit on my chest and sink me down into my mattress in the way that they used to. Mm -hmm. Um, Absolutely. Because like, um, once you start experiencing the world as your actual gender, things feel better too. Yeah, they do. Like, right now... like extrapolating i imagine it feels difficult to get into a relationship because you haven't started the important elements of your transition um it feels difficult to apply for a job because you feel scared that like your transition will interfere with the job there's just all of these things that come back to getting this big element of your life kind of sorted out and like that's hard but once you start moving and actually doing things in that direction, it does get easier to work on these other things because you're not paralyzed by the the big like, oh, but like I'm going to make this big change to my life and that'll undermine everything else sort of anxiety. Yeah. And I don't want to make the promise of like, I can guarantee you that the day you start hormones, you're going to be filled with such a renewed energy and zest for life that nothing <laughs> will ever be able to get in your way. That's not that's not a promise that I can make. Um, but I do think that if you like know that 
transition is important and necessary for your quality of life, starting that is going to feel immediately, I think, more meaningful than any of those other things. Mm-hmm. Um, and, you know, I like for me, I'm a little over a year into hormones um, with some stops and starts. Um, I don't look or I'm not received um, the way that I would like to, which is Chris Pine. Um, I also don't pass. <laughs> like, I don't. I don't pass yet. Um, I, you know. As Chris I, Pine. I, as yeah, Chris no. Pine. Um, and again, like, that's not to say that, like, you know, passing is the only way to be trans or that it's a goal everyone needs to share. But I just mean, like, for me, I would like to. Um, it would be pretty great. Um, mm-hmm. And it is hard to um, do a lot of the work and go through a lot of the difficult stuff of transition while also getting, like, ma'am a lot of the time. But I also feel a lot better, um, and I'm a lot closer to getting served than I was a year ago. Um, mm-hmm. He said as his voice cracked all over the place. Um, <laughs> and and some stuff that even, like, just used to feel devastating before I started hormones is now, like, yeah, I still don't like this part about myself, or this is still difficult, but I know that I'm moving in the direction that I want to be moving and um, having other, you know, just... Ugh, it, it opens up a lot of stuff, or even things like... You know, if you want to start a family, um, again, if medical transition is what is on the table and part of what you would like to at least consider is whether or not you want to have biological children, that's a great thing to think about right now. Because, again, you know, like I didn't start thinking about transition until I like realistically I didn't start thinking about transition until I was in my early 30s. Um, And by the time I was talking to a doctor and they were like, have you thought about like your reproductive options? Um, I was like. Yeah, don't they involve, like, taking female hormones and harvesting eggs? And they're like, yeah. And I was like, great. I can't. I can't. I can't do that. I need right. I need to start hormones right now. Um, I cannot take female hormones. Um, that is not an option. So that was, like, you know, that was painful. That was a choice that was made for me. Um, and, uh, sorry, I, I feel like I'm really dominating this conversation. I think that's often a lot of the times why it feels really hard when we first start letting ourselves think about transition. I think for mm-hmm. many of us, the first thought is it's too late. Puberty was too late, you know? Like, it was too late when I was 13 yeah. years old. Yeah, I mean, and you're not dominating the conversation. I mean, I, I think you're right, and, like, these are very universal feelings. Like, when I started, like, um, I have no expectation that – um listeners know what I look like now, but, um, I do like pretty consistently get gendered correctly. Like it's very rare for me not to be gendered correctly at this point. Um, but when I started, you know, when I was age 25, I was like, uh, a tall or I was perceived as a tall man with like a very thick beard, you know? And like, it took a lot of time to move past that. Um, and a lot of work and like, um, at the beginning, it felt impossible. Like, how am I ever going to get to a point where I feel, you know, feminine in any way or attractive in any way? Um, when like my heart beats too hard, you know, like just every aspect of my body felt wrong. Um, but like I did get there and it just took some time and like effort and the help of my friends. Um, but it's ex- extremely doable. Like that's the story of pretty much every trans woman I know. Um, is that like assuming you start post puberty, like you have a lot to work against, and it feels really intense. And I I don't know um, if this letter writer is trans masculine or trans feminine, um, but like either way, it feels like there's a lot to do. But just getting started and working on it helps something that i learned as i was going was that people's short-term memories are kind of poor and like they don't really remember you other than how you are currently so if you're very worried about what it's going to be like transitioning around people in your life like just keep in mind in a few years they won't remember what you used to look like (laughs) or sound like um and it's kind of an amazing phenomenon, but it, it, it really is true. Um, and so it's worth just doing it and giving yourself that. Yeah. And I think, again, like, I know we have really focused on the trans aspect of this as opposed to the sort of more like general, like, I'm in my mid-20s, but all the things I want are really big and will take years. And I really do believe because, like, 
you will find ways to address those questions in small manageable doses once you have addressed, I think, something that can really affect motivation. Because, like, Mm -hmm. I'm still late to a lot of stuff. Um, I still often like to kind of check out by watching a lot of Netflix or being on my phone instead of being present. Like, I still have a lot of the same character defects that I've always had. But um, in a lot of areas of my life, motivation I had for certain things once I uh, gave myself permission to start transitioning and was like, wait a minute, you mean I can go, like, do this thing, like, as a guy? Like, I can fly on a plane as the gender I want to be? Like... (laughs) That made a huge difference. Like, and I, again, I hear this from a lot of people when someone's like, I can get my hair cut as a girl. I want to get my hair cut. Like, yeah, absolutely. It makes a difference. You know, like if you have to go to a bank and establish a line of credit, it will feel easier to do that if it's not like a gender nightmare for you to go into a bank. Right. Like I'm continuing to build my life in the gender that people perceive me as and that I know is not going to be my future. But, uh, you know, it's, that's hard to feel motivated about. It's like, why would I care about opening up a, a, a new bank account under, you know, I mean, why would you care about banks? But um, yeah, I, I really do think that if you prioritize, um, like, at the very least, like figuring out what would starting transition look like for you in the near future you may find, I think you will likely find that other things feel less overwhelming. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And you're not too old. You are not too old to go to school. You are not too old to start saving money. You are not too old to date. Um, Again, I really relate. I, I think anybody who transitions, regardless of what age they are, struggles with, am I too old? Yeah. Oh, absolutely. Like there's, there's no question of that. Um, you're always going to feel too old. If you had started when you were 16, you would feel too old. I know people who started when they were 16, and they still say, oh, I wish that I had been one of those kids who started when they were eight or whatever, right? Like, it always feels intense and difficult. And you're quite young. And I know that you are aware intellectually. Uh, but... You are. And like the other thing about transitioning, this is like some a cliche that is true, is that like no one will be able to tell what age you are and you will feel like a dumbass teenager for a lot of it. Yeah. And that's kind of invigorating too. Yeah. I, I'm really looking forward to not looking like a 13-year-old boy. Um, I, I'm really longing for that day. But yeah, you know, <laughs> I, I, uh, two years ago I looked 30. I don't look 30 now. Um, I get carded a lot, which is yeah. Like, I get I'm not, carded now too, which is what like, I didn't. Not that I'm like buying alcohol, but just like I get carded at places now. I'm like one diet coke, please, and they're like, I'd like to see your ID, and I'm like, fine. I don't like looking at it <laughs> because there's a lady on it, and she's great, but she's not me. And yeah. It, anyways, I <laughs> we could talk about this all day, but I, I really relate to like trans specific fear of mortality and the passage of time and mm-hmm. absolutely yeah i feel like your your listeners can do a, a fun drinking game where uh or candy eating game i don't know what what <laughs> games that that you would play i mean my I, listeners I are allowed to drink games. if they want to just because i'm sober doesn't mean that i'm like don't drink if you listen to this podcast. Um, but I feel like they could they could definitely like get a point every time I say the word absolutely in this episode. I've just been agreeing with you a lot, Danny. Oh my god! If if people did that, they would have to include whenever I say the phrase. Bear this in mind. Um, <laughs> uh, yeah, there's there's a number of phrases that I'm sure I repeat about fifty times per episode. But I don't want to give people ammunition to laugh at my. Idiomatic to tease speech. you, yeah. I'm, I'm. Hey, Malcolm to manhood. Did, did you say Malcolm to manhood? I did. Carta, <laughs> that's the worst thing anyone's ever said to me. Hey, Carta, that's my gift to you, Carta. Welcome to being a woman. Oh, thank you, thank you <laughs> Um, thank you so so much for being on the show. You are fabulous. You are amazing. Oh. You have to come back. Thank you. I I really want to. I'll come back every week if you want me. I kind of do, frankly. Like we're gonna get you back soon. It's gonna be fantastic. Um, have a lovely, lovely rest of the day. Um, I'll probably give you a call later. Uh, after I'm driving home and when I'm bored, not on like the phone. I'll do it hands free. Everyone, don't worry. 
No, that's that's good. I also like hands-free car talking, so I appreciate it. Awesome. All right, my friend. Bye for now. All right. Bye. Thanks for listening to Dear Prudence. Our producer is Phil Circus. Our theme music was composed by Robin Hilton. Don't miss an episode of the show. Head to slate.com slash dearprudence to subscribe. And remember, you can always hear more Prudence by joining Slate+. Plus. Go to slate.com slash prudipod to sign up. If you want me to answer your question, call me and leave a message at 401-371-DEAR, that's 3327, and you might hear your answer on an episode of the show. You don't have to use your real name or location, and at your request, we can even alter the sound of your voice. Keep it short, 30 seconds, a minute tops. Thanks for listening. Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper, a woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver? I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, avoid, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.